Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode, we're going to dive back into the How to Meet Yourself workbook and continue our conversation about consciously reconnecting with our physical body. The last episode we released was about overwhelm and that resistance that a lot of us feel when we become conscious and also that we experience on the road to choosing to becoming conscious. There's a lot of resistance there, a lot of overwhelming feelings. So I suggest to checking out that episode, which is a little bit of a prelude into this episode where we're actually going to go into, then if you're overwhelmed, what are some manageable, practical, small bite-size actions or tools that you can take to help you progress on your journey of healing? So for today's episode, we're going to take three bite-sized practices right from the workbook to hopefully help you manage this overwhelm and begin to practice this conscious reconnection with your body. And I couldn't help but use the term bite-size because the first practice we're going to talk about, (laughs) pun intended, the first practice we're going to talk about is building a new habit of conscious eating. And if you're like me, um, I know a lot of us out there, we're, we're not conscious when we're eating. We're very much on autopilot eating at predetermined times, eating predetermined things, shoveling our food, eating on the go. There's so many reasons why we're not consciously attentive or paying attention to our physical body in the moments of eating, our meal times, which for the large majority of us happen at least once a day, if not many more times. So as we begin to create a conscious connection to our body, when we are choosing the food we eat is a great time to first, before you just mindlessly reach for the cabinet or open up the fridge, whatever it might be, just taking a pause and refocusing your attention on your body, how it feels, maybe tuning into what your body could want to be eating. Does it want the bag of chips that you're reaching for or might it want something else? And as you're eating is another great time to practice. Um, Many of you might've heard the concept of savoring or mindful eating. Really that's just being consciously aware of the practice of eating, actually taking a moment to, as you see the food on your plate, before you maybe even scoop up or take that first bite, you might just close your eyes and visualize all the different ingredients that went into making that meal. Again, noticing how you feel as you visualize each different ingredient. And then as you go to take an actual bite, and again, for a lot of you, this might seem so simplistic, though there's so much value in being present to yourself in those moments of tasting the food, of noticing the different textures of the food while you're eating. At minimum, for a lot of us, this will just slow us down. And for some of us, it might even give us information. As I visualize a certain ingredient, you know what? Maybe my body doesn't really want to be eating that right now. Maybe it's responding more favorably or you know, there's more appetite or hunger when you're visualizing something else. And then, of course, while we're eating is a great time to pause throughout, not just finish your whole plate because you you know, served it to yourself, actually pausing mid-plateful and deciding and determining, well, am I full or do I want to keep eating? And these practices for me were so helpful because what I saw as I became conscious of all of the habits of my physical self, 
I was so habitual. I had ideas about what food was appropriate when. If I served food on my plate, I would eat it, you know, out of this idea of felt obligation, whether or not I was hungry for it or not. I would eat whatever is served to me or whatever other people in my environment picked without even attuning to what my body wanted. And of course, over time, over practice, building in these pauses and this conscious reconnection allowed me to develop a habit of more intuitive eating, listening to what my physical and individual unique body wanted, how it was responding to the food. It gave me the opportunity to actually enjoy my food a bit more. And it also gave me the opportunity to learn how I felt when I was full and to learn to stop eating when I came to that state of fullness. So it's something you're already doing anyways. I like to look at this or call it stacking, really. You're eating throughout the day or at least once during the day. Most of us are eating. So in that act of doing it, you can then stack on this intention to be conscious, to become aware. Just like if you were to go brush your teeth every day, you can stack a new habit onto when you brush your teeth because you're already doing that first one. It's helpful to start to really train yourself and practice, okay, when I go to eat, when I go to open the fridge, when I you know, go to take a bite, I'm going to pause and begin becoming conscious, intentionally dropping into my body, asking myself how I feel. You're likely not going to do this every time. I probably autopilot open the fridge 30 times a day and definitely am not (laughs) thinking, how's your body feeling? What do I really want? It's just an auto response that I've been doing for 36 years. So be compassionate and kind with yourself and give yourself a lot of wiggle room to not follow through perfectly each time. Instead, celebrate that one time that you do remember to do so. You do remember maybe you're already through a meal and you realize, oh my gosh, I just plowed through that. I don't even know what it tasted like. Okay, well, now check in with your body. And instead of beating yourself up in that moment or ridiculing yourself or shaming yourself for not following through, acknowledge the fact that that switch just went on at the perfect divine time that it did. And you are now noticing and you have the opportunity to tune in or you could stack it the opposite. You could intentionally say, I'm going to choose to savor something. I'm going to check in with my body and see how am I feeling? How is my energy feeling? Am I dragging? Am I feeling vibrant and vital? Do I ever feel that way? All good questions to start assessing for yourself and a really great one for the savoring If you have an orange or any fresh produce or fruit, and I know not all of us have equal access to all of these nourishing foods, so we are extremely aware of that. And all that each person can do is make the conscious choice to reach for and utilize the most nourishing whole foods from the earth that are accessible to them. So in orange, for example, you can get an orange in most places. Grabbing that orange, slicing it open, taking a moment to actually feel the juices of it in your mouth, to savor the coldness of it, maybe if it was in the refrigerator, all of the aromatic essence of that citrus in orange. There's so much in just one fruit or one vegetable for you to savor and really tune into. So it is about maximizing the experience of every small and minute thing that we do choose to put into our bodies, 
which also allows us to even become aware and start to recognize what it is we are fueling ourselves with and how we feel. I remember my senior year of high school, I had lunch at like 10 in the morning and every single day for lunch, I ate a white bagel with cream cheese. And if anyone from Saratoga Springs High School ever listens <laughs> to this, you probably can also resonate with this. I watched my entire class fueled up at a 10 a.m. breakfast on a white bagel and cream cheese or nacho cheese. Now, it is no wonder to me now why I was so low energy, why I was dragging the way I was. Because for me in particular, having like a starchy carbed food like that, while I'm grateful for, you know, the energy and the substance that that was for me, it also caused an incredible spike in my blood sugar and then my hormones, which just continued to increase this already overdriven production of cortisol in my body. So you might think back too, to periods of your life where you had certain routines of eating certain things. If those memories are available for you to access, have a wonder, do a little reflection and start to see at different periods where you were consuming different things. How did you feel? What was your life like? How did you even look? Maybe looking at old photos, we've seen some of your before and after healing photos. I know I have my own and there is a very visual difference in how I appear based on what I am putting into my body. And that appearance is directly correlated to with how I'm actually feeling internally, which was very much driven by the food I was consuming. Yeah. And to be clear, as I'm even hearing you, you talk about this kind of aspect of appearance, I think what you're referencing, I know what I see difference in my before and afters isn't necessarily my body size or shape. It's the vitality, the color of my skin, the, the life in you, right? The circles under my eyes. Um, you know, for me to speak to this point of, of sugar and gluten and all of that, um, I know historically with my blood sugar, you know, being very much connected to the fact that I would wake up and I would eat some version of being from Philly. Um, for those of you who are listening, we have a cake company called Entenmann's. We frequented that and my mom, my mom loved sugar herself. So my breakfast usually was some version of a cake product in my grade school um, in Philadelphia. We love our soft pretzels. So somewhere around 10 a.m. we were delivered for a quarter, a soft pretzel. Um, at lunch, I would go home for lunch because I literally lived across the street and I was usually met with Elio's pizza. Um, after, after school, I was allowed to have whatever snack I wanted. And usually that was some form of chips or candy. Dinner was the only time where I had more or less a, a, a meal. My mom would cook quite often and there was usually a protein and a starch and a vegetable. And then right after dinner, I was allowed to have ice cream right before bed. So thinking of this sugar roller coaster and thinking about how you know, for me is now I've attuned to my body. Not only do I experience those spikes of energy of blood sugar shifting where we feel jittery and then we crash. I've come to notice how for me and particularly um, gluten and sugar affect my body. I become inflamed. Um, my skin actually changes. I break out a lot when I'm eating both of those items. Now that isn't to say, to go back to compassion, that I avoid those items entirely. I still love sugar. I still love carbs. I'm Italian at heart, right? I still love my gluten. I don't always pick the gluten-free option because if we're being honest, it's not always the best option. I want the real stuff, especially if it's pizza. So saying all that to say, and back to this concept of conscious eating, if we're conscious along our eating journey, I give myself the opportunity to still choose those items. But now I have all of this awareness. I can pick up the sugar and know that, you know what? I might not feel the best. 
My face might break out a little bit. I might be inflamed a couple of days from now. My mood might begin to get agitated if I continue to eat the sugar or this gluten, and I still might. There's an incredible, in my opinion, empowering shift when we're making those choices consciously, not just because it's the habitual thing we always do, when we've taken the time to get to know our bodies, to see these patterns that I was just able to describe to you, and to make those moments of pause where we still might reach for that same old thing, though now we know the consequences. So we could just as much choose not to or choose to and be an empowered participant of what it is that we're putting in our body and then the impact that it has on our mood, on our way of being, and in how we look and feel about ourselves. I want to acknowledge to you that we very much understand this is a global podcast. We have global conversations. It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing about our work and the self-healer circle and all of the convos we have here is that it is worldwide. We are all coming from so many different backgrounds, different countries, different cultures, and different socioeconomic statuses. And I know that that 100% impacts what you have access to. So for anyone who might be listening and hearing us talk about, you know, Elio's, all the things that we're consuming and thinking like, you know, that'd be great. It would be great if I had access to all of those things. Like I'm just getting by. You're not unseen here. And I say this from a personal space too, growing up in poverty and at some points in extreme poverty where there literally wasn't heat or running water. And You'll hear me sometimes talk about how, you know, I grew up from my garden because my parents were big harvesters. We grew a lot of our own, well, we grew all of our own fruits and vegetables. So to a certain age, I did live off the land in that way, which I'm grateful for. And it came because we didn't have money for anything else. Well, when my parents kind of crumbled and fell apart and my dad disappeared and left and our house literally started to crumble and fall apart, it was probably around seven or eight. That's when all those like, you know, meals and food from the garden or from my father hunting stopped and the food pantry came in. What I ate largely was sugar cereal, French fries. It was whatever was given to me. I had people from our church show up at our front door with boxes of food and, you know, little Jenna's coming to answer the door and they give me some story that they're moving and this is the leftover food from their cabinet and they don't want to throw it out. Come to find out shortly after that was all a disguise because they didn't want to tell the children that they couldn't afford their own food, but they were coming to deliver food to us. So we didn't have a say. We had whatever was given to us. And as a child, you do have whatever is given to you. When you are an adult, and I know for a lot of us, this is hard to swallow. And I only speak this so adamantly coming from an impoverished place. As an adult, you do have the ability and the responsibility to make a choice to choose what you consume or at least to choose access to the most nourishing thing that you can. And I get it. If all you have is pastries and cakes from the food pantry and that's all there is, then you might be in that box. That might be all there is. That doesn't mean you're stuck. That means there's also other areas or things of life to then look at that might need to be addressed so that you, because you are so massively capable, just like I was, of choosing a different way or creating a different reality where you now can afford that orange at the store or you can afford that food. And I know a lot of people are hearing this part and are really disconnected from that because they can't 
even imagine not being able to afford an orange. But it's really important for all of us, no matter where you fall on this spectrum or where in the world you are, to really be honest with ourselves that when you do become an adult, it then is your responsibility to create a reality and make a choice that does honor your own health and your own nourishment you are no longer victim to the past when you were very much an, act, an actual victim in that past. Though there has to be a shift in adulthood where you realize you are no longer in that past. And if you do not make that shift or choose to take that responsibility, then you will continue to live your entire life as if you are a victim to your reality and a victim to your circumstances. So that will be the continuous autopilot victim rut that you will continue on. I really appreciate you sharing not only from your personal journey, Jenna, though, the acknowledgement of, of the possibility of the choice, even in, in of the awareness of the choices that we're making or not making for ourselves in each moment and shifting into a, a free resource, um, and again, we're reading right from the workbook, and this is from page 82, um, conscious movement practice. This is another area of our day, depending on, of course, on our body's ability, our ableness level. All of us have moments or, or to some extent can be moving, whether or not it's, you know, physically upright and, and walking or being, you know, physically active or, or from our chairs, from our beds, learning how to move and stretch the muscles, maybe in our upper body or in our lower body. When our body is moving, that's a great place to become consciously attentive to how it feels first and foremost to be in our body around our muscles in particular, dropping in, refocusing that attention, assessing how tight are my muscles? How tense am I? I know for me, I've discovered a whole lot of tension from my hamstrings to my mid to upper back, all the tension I always carry in my neck and in my jaw. As I became in conscious connection with my body, I was able to attune to the state of my muscles and the fact that they were always constricted, clenched with energy. So for me, you know, in terms of creating a conscious connection and seeing how tense I was, that then gave me the opportunity to make new choices. And for me, those choices were in stretching and more gentle movements throughout the day and not just moving to move, not just stretching to stretch, using the moments while I was engaged in that stretching or the moving, whatever it might be, to be consciously present to how my muscles began to feel in terms of shifting and changing in their levels of tension. And for a lot of us, because it is incredibly difficult to become fully conscious of our entire body at one time, breaking it down into these micro moments of being just in our body as we're stretching it, as we're moving it, using the muscles as our hook for attention can be a great way to begin to rebuild that connection with the entirety of our body. Stretching is so, I don't know if it's underrated, <laughs> overlooked. It's so important. If mm -hmm. we don't stretch our muscles, if we don't stretch our bodies, our bodies will essentially just kind of get stuck in the way that they are. You know, older, older people when I was younger would say the saying like, you know, don't frown or don't make that face. Your face will get stuck that way. And I used to always grapple with that as a kid. And then I remember as an adult, something just clicking. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
it really does get stuck mm-hmm. that way. Like if I tense my muscles or I have a little bit in the middle of my eyes, my mom has it very deep. She has a line down the middle. She's very self-conscious about it, has always talked about it her entire life. And it's from this state of worry or from squinting. And when she squints or is worried, there is a crease in the middle of her eyes. If I continue to strain my eyes or do that, I notice the same thing. She now has a permanent line like that. And a lot of us, we see expressions on faces, particularly of older people who have been here for more and more generations. We can see the emotional experience that they were in or that they were stuck in for most of their lives because your face actually does then start to form or wrinkle or age or grow in the expression that it's always sat in. Our bodies are the same way. If you are not someone who stretches or moves your body, then how are you supposed to expect at 70 you're going to be able to, you know, get up, walk around and dance or stretch? It's going to be very difficult. So just like our practice of consciousness and these small daily habits or small choices, small promises to ourselves to cultivate that awareness, to cultivate that consciousness, the same can go for our physical self for that movement. Maybe you stack stretching on as something as small as when you rise from your slumber, morning, night, wherever, whatever your slumber schedule, when you rise, putting your arms overhead if you're able, stretching your full body, maybe reaching down to your toes or twisting, whatever body you have the ability to move and to stretch, something as small as moving it upon waking and then doing the same when you lay to go to sleep or however you sleep. When you go to rest, doing the same thing, stretching or moving your body however you are able to, and while doing it, all you're being present to is your body. Maybe you notice how tight it is, or maybe you notice your shoulders are really aching or there's a tightness in your neck. You notice that, and that's something to celebrate, not, oh my gosh, this is awful, my neck hurts. It's really great that you're noticing that in your neck and that you're doing something about it. You're moving and stretching yourself. And those things compounded over time are massive and they can be as small as I have a small promise to myself to as soon as I rise and when I go to slumber, I stretch my body. As small as the promise might be, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, historically for decades, even even being an athlete, I hated stretching. It was a time of the practice. I would kind of just like flop myself over because I was always so tight. And one of my condition patterns I've come to realize is I don't like to do things that are uncomfortable. So the tightness in my hamstrings, I did not. The second I did start to feel that pulling, I would, I would be done with that stretch. I actually have memories. Um, I had um, one of the fathers of another uh, player on one of my teams. I was a softball. I, I played softball. I was a pitcher. And he really liked training. So he would get a group of us and, you know, train us, stretch us, give us exercises to help our game. And long story short, he very quickly discovered how tight I was. And he was a a, a big, you know, adult man, um, very muscular. And I have memories of laying on my back while he was trying to do a very traditional hamstring stretch, you know, with my leg up in the air and he's pushing it, him in a full sweat trying to, and me, New York tears with him trying to stretch me. So I'll be the first to acknowledge how, while these moments seem really small, they were very difficult for me because I did want to avoid that discomfort. And before very long, to speak to your point of wearing, you know, our emotions on our body, I did begin to show the tension. My, you'll, if you've listened to me talk, you probably hear me acknowledge my shoulders began to hunch over that tightness 
only got tighter. And one of the main reasons we're talking about this, not only to rebuild a conscious connection to our body, the tension in our muscles actually is an indicator of our body's stressed state. And if you listen to our last workbook episode, we talked a lot about fear and, and the feelings in our nervous system and in our body in particular, when we're feeling fearful, when we're feeling stressed. And oftentimes it is indicated by tension in our body. So as many times as I avoid it, releasing, stretching that tension out, I was just keeping my body in that tense fear-based state. So it was no surprise that as much as I wanted a peaceful moment of, you know, calm, grounded connectedness, my body was continuously telling my brain through that tension in my muscles that I can't just relax. There is something stressful at hand because that was the only message that my muscles were ever sending my mind. It's interesting when you talk about the not wanting to stretch because it was uncomfortable for you. You weren't necessarily flexible. And I also know you to be someone too that resisted anything that you were not immediately good at. And you happened to excel at a lot of things immediately. So I can imagine <laughs> then that flexibility or the stretching that is really uncomfortable is sort of like, well, I'm not going to do that because it's not just simple and easy. We're in the opposite, probably in many ways, I grew up as a gym. I love gymnastics. I taught gymnastics. I did it my entire life. I coached it for like a decade. I'm really flexible. That was something that always came natural to me. What didn't come natural to me was arm strength. I was incredibly <laughs> strong and powerful in my tumbling and in my legs. Could not do a pull-up or a chin-up for the life of me. Could never do the uneven bars in gymnastics. I didn't have that strength. And I always noticed my resistance to it. It wasn't until really the last three years that I finally got myself to do. I just told Nicole the other day, I did three chin-ups in a row and I almost cried with happiness because my entire life, I was probably maybe 33 by the first time I could do three chin-ups. And I could only do it because I had been training at an adult gymnastics place and decided I want to learn how to do a chin-up. I want to do my arm strength. I have resisted it consciously for at that point. 33 years because it was uncomfortable because it didn't come easy to me. So even if you're not setting an intention to like to stretch or to do something, the sheer act of setting the intention to just tune into your body and notice how it is will open a world of wisdom to you. Maybe you set on your phone like a consciousness check-in and when that alarm goes off, you tune into your physical body. Just fully assess from head to toe. How am I feeling? Is my jaw really tight? Are my hands really clenched? I know a lot in the self-healer circle will do, you know, certain courses or tools where it's noticing the physical body. We'll be specifically talking about embodiment or the physical and members will consistently always ask for examples of how tension or certain emotions will show up in the body. And while we may offer some, you know, like sweaty palms or a clenched fist, the point is for them to actually just become witness, not to be given the answers, but to take that moment of intention and actually drop in and just assess, what am I feeling? Does my stomach feel like it's in knots? Do I notice that my, my fist just seem clenched all the time? For me, my jaw is always clenched. If I'm having a thought that I'm not even aware of, I'm just sitting in autopilot, I might be in the kitchen with like a super clenched jaw, a really stern looking face, just staring out the window away on a spaceship. And the moment I drop in 
and realize, oh my gosh, I released my jaw and it's like sore because of that tension. And with practice, when I notice those moments, I can think, okay, where were you just then? What thought were you just having? Because whatever that thought was, was sending a certain set of messages throughout my body that is having it respond in that way. What's coming to mind, I actually saw this fascinating before and after picture of um, someone and their just their face with their jaw area. And similarly, coming to the awareness of how much tension um, this person you know, carried in their jaw and making the daily commitment to release their jaw and also their tongue, noticing, you know, is my tongue kind of jammed up the top of my mouth or is it able to rest gently kind of on the below jaw area? And after consistent practice, it was so mind-blowingly notable that this person's face structure actually began to shift and change from a more kind of high tension around the cheek jaw area to a dropped, almost like a squared off look. And it was a very crazy visual of something that I've noticed in myself. I remember um, massages for me, you know, when I had the opportunity or oftentimes people in my life would gift me a massage at holiday time because I couldn't afford massages myself for a very long period of time. And for me, that was a time where I do like getting massaged. I don't like stretching, but if someone else wants to work (laughs) my muscles, I can absolutely get behind that. And one of my gifts was actually a TMJ massage. And I have never had a experience like that. So what TMJ really simply is jaw like tension um, that, you know, many of us carry. And I remember I fell asleep during this time when this person was massaging my jaw and I never felt such a release. So for a lot of us to speak to your point, I don't even know if we're fully aware of how tense our muscles are, of all of the different areas of our body where we're carrying this stress until we just first make that commitment to tune in by setting that alarm or by when we already say we do commute by walking, maybe that's the intention we set. For me, I lived in a city for the large majority of my life and I used my legs to, to commute me around. And that is exactly how I began You know, my journey into body consciousness was through a gentle stretching practice. And I made the commitment when I was walking to and from work, not to be lost in thought about what was going to happen when I got to work or what was going to happen when I got home from work, just to be present to my physical body and all the different feelings and sensations of it just walking to work. And really to do this, all of this that we're talking about from a state of being of gratitude, the fact that you even have a body that you can have sensations to feel is a God-given gift. It is something for us to stay in a being of gratitude for, even when your jaw is tense, instead of, you know, going into our so often shame cycle or ridicule, you know, why can't I be X? Why am I like this? It's alarming when you do become conscious and you're now dropping into your body. And this kind of preludes to last episode as well. There's a lot of overwhelm and then often resistance that will come in because you don't like what you're seeing. You don't like what you're feeling. It's not that you suddenly just started feeling it or that it suddenly just started showing up. No, it's that you now have chosen to be willing and intentional at just witnessing it and taking note to it. So Having gratitude for our body instead of just this expectation that, yeah, I'm here and this is my body, like, no, your body quite literally is your temple. Without your body, or at least, you know, the essential portions of it, 
you can't transmute out into the world as yourself. You have no way to express yourself. This whole vessel that each of us are walking around in is our opportunity to actually be in the world. So anything that we are experiencing in the body is an opportunity for us to have gratitude for it and to reframe, you know, I don't, I don't like what I'm feeling. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like my body. Switch that to I'm beginning to learn new ways of being with my body. I'm doing the best that I can now. And specifically from page 76 in the workbook, we note this, this whole intro to this body piece, to these breathing exercises, to conscious eating. It's that resistance to change. It says, as you begin to pay more attention to your physical body, you may become conscious of feelings you have suppressed or avoided for many years. If you notice resistance as you connect to your physical body, begin to practice shifting your thoughts to acknowledge the challenge and view it in a more positive light. So what does that mean? For example, instead of thinking, this is too hard, you might offer yourself This is new and unfamiliar. Anything that then feels overwhelming or that we're resisting, there's a reason. It's uncomfortable. It's foreign. So change your language, not this is too hard. I can't do this. This is new and unfamiliar. I'm I'm smiling hearing you say that because I know one of the litanies of affirmations is I would repeat how hard it is, how much my muscles hurt, (laughs) please, how much I want this to stop, right? And again, I'm not giving myself any space to have any other relationship. And a neutral relationship is much better than a critical relationship and acknowledging that everything will be difficult when it is new. And going back to um, one of the, the gifts of our body and another practical way to begin to build this conscious awareness is through breathing. I mean, our body and those of you who are following along from the workbook on page 83, we talk about a conscious breathing practice. And of course, there's many breathing techniques throughout the workbook and many of which we talk about in terms of regulating our nervous system. This conscious breathing practice can be as simple as just tuning in to the reality that you are breathing every moment of every day and setting that daily commitment to just tune into how it is that you're breathing and begin to notice. Is your breath always quick and from the chest indicating that your body is under some stress? Is your breath barely recognizable? Are you holding your breath? That's one of the things to this day I still catch myself doing when I'm worried about something, when I'm fearful of something, when I'm stressed out about something, when I'm doing something difficult. My habit is to hold my breath as opposed to Are you breathing evenly and deeply from your belly if possible? And again, this all ties even together to our muscle tension. One of the biggest things I had to do is teach my body how to breathe from my belly. And if I'm being honest, I couldn't do it from a sitting position. I could definitely not do it from a standing position because of the tension in my muscles and how my shoulders and my my chest began to hunch forward not to have shame if that is what you're coming to realize when you're attuning to your body, your muscles, and your breath, I began to practice this deep, common breathing from my laying down. So like you were giving that beautiful example of stretching in the morning, for some of you, maybe that's the moment where you tune to your breath and where instead of, you know, keeping your breath really quick or holding your breath, you begin to practice maybe by laying a hand on your belly if it's comfortable. And by being flat, you might have more access to that calm, even breath. And regardless, if you make that intention to just tune into 
How is it that my body is breathing? Because at some point, even if you're holding your breath, you're going to have to start breathing again to continue to live. Now you're becoming in your body and present to the stress that might be there. Your body's, like you said, breathing all day, all night long on its own without us directing it or asking it to do so. So even if you don't start necessarily a new breathing practice. Just the simple intention that you are setting in your mind to notice your breathing, that is a massive and beautiful place to begin. The more you can continue to bring that forethought into the present, which is literally an intention, I'm going to notice my breath today. Maybe I say that to myself all throughout the day so that I can remind myself that I made an intention to notice my breath. Well, when you start to notice it throughout the day, then you will start to be able to connect your breath and the different breathing patterns you have in different situations, in different experiences. You might find that you're mindlessly scrolling on social media and suddenly you come to and are like, oh my gosh, I wasn't breathing. Or maybe your breathing gets suddenly really labored. I know there's certain times where I notice myself just sitting there and suddenly I hear my own breathing. And I think, are you okay? You weren't just working out. What's going on there? And because I have a, a, really for me now, it's a background intention to notice my breath because I, for so long, have intentionally noticed that. And I still set a conscious intention to notice it. So over time, I'm strengthening that muscle of noticing it. Then in moments when I'm just sitting on the couch, lost in another thought, something taps in and something tunes in and I begin to notice it without even asking myself to notice it in that moment. That's really powerful and that will happen with practice. When that happens and you can start to notice, you can start to connect the dots and the lines of how you're breathing in certain relationships, in certain experiences, in certain conversations, the awareness of that and your body's response to whatever that given moment or experience is beholds so much wisdom about yourself to learn from in situations, especially for those of us who don't have childhood memories. We can't remember a lot of the past that's okay. You don't have to remember the past because if you're present and paying attention to your physical body and with practice, then having the ability to connect what's happening in your physical body to the thought that you're having, you have everything that happened in your past right here in the present. It's the thought that then creates this messaging back and forth between the thought and your physical body, its feelings, and then that highway of communication or really a loop of communication. I really appreciate you kind of breaking it down to maybe the commitment is just to pay attention to your breathing, just even tying this previous episode together on overwhelm with with this current episode right here right now and acknowledging that we just overviewed three different practices conscious eating <laughs> conscious movement right and conscious breathing it is not our intention that each of you just begin to do these three new things moving forward again to deal with the overwhelm really create that small daily promise pick of those three or other ways that you can become conscious to your individual body as your starting point. Don't overwhelm your system with trying to do all of this new stuff, changing your breathing, tuning into what's shifting your breathing all at once and tune into intuitively which one of maybe those three options that we just gave you 
feels the most approachable, whether it's around your mealtime, whether it's around your movement. Again, if you're like me and you are someone who lives in a city and maybe is already commuting, you know, walking to work, maybe that's the easiest place for you to start. Because to speak to the point about habit stacking, you're already walking to work more days than not. So maybe those are the moments where you integrate this practice, acknowledging that you'll probably have to set a reminder for yourself and that intention, if of course you're previous historical walks were very mindless or your attention was somewhere else. So set yourself up to succeed by reminding yourself that you do want to do something different. And again, pick the exercise that can be embedded most easily, though acknowledging that it probably will come with discomfort as all new things do into the life that you are already living. Bringing this all full circle and what actually follows this directly in the workbook on page 84 is a body gratitude practice. And we've already touched on this and spoken about that state of being of gratitude for our bodies. And I want to read this one part directly from the workbook. And we'll end on this because this is really where you should well, I don't want to say should though. I just did. <laughs> I suggest, and it is really imperative to your healing and your growth that you do allow and practice an embodiment of gratitude or even a practice of gratitude. And for many of you, you may notice that that is the thing that you resist the most, which often is the thing that we then need to cultivate the most. So directly from page 84, it says, as you are working through these exercises, you are hopefully becoming more aware of how you speak about, think about, and treat your physical body. You may begin to witness just how often you criticize, shame, or compare your body to others. Each of our bodies is a living miracle that manages our digestion, our breathing, and our heartbeat without a conscious thought. Yet few of us appreciate all the hard work our bodies do to support us every day. Your body is literally a living miracle. So in this workbook, it offers a very detailed gratitude visualization practice. So I'm going to sum it up in short here and we'll look at your digestion, your breathing, your heartbeat, your thoughts. So lying flat on the ground or sitting in a chair, closing your eyes if you feel comfortable putting a hand on your belly, one hand on your heart if you're able or if you're comfortable doing so. So you can feel your heartbeat. You can feel the rise and fall of your belly as you choose to breathe. And beginning at the top of your head, imagining and putting conscious thought and intention to your brain, the part of you that allows all of these thoughts and creation to come forward, offering gratitude for that space moving from your brain down to your heart, imagining and sensing the area around your heart, offering and thanking. This would literally look like, thank you, heart. Thank you for beating. Thank you for pumping blood through my veins and allowing me to live this miracle of life without me even asking you. Thank you. Shifting to your lungs and what actually offers you the ability to breathe, to have life breathing through you throughout the day without any command or direction to do so. Thank you, lungs, for giving me breath, for allowing me to breathe, allowing me to live. Your stomach, your digestion, 
Thank you, body, for digesting and breaking down my food. Thank you for allowing me to consume and nourish and nurture my body so that I have energy to sustain the life that I am living. Those are four very key ones, your brain, your heart, your lungs, your digestion. Those are all functions that happen without our direction, without our ask, without our say. That is the miracle of source, creation, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. It is a magical, invisible energy and force field that runs through us all, allows this human vessel of ourselves to beat on its own, to exist on its own. And then we have this beautiful ability to create who we actually are, create my own expression in the world and show up as Jenna only because I was given this vessel of a body to do so. So practice setting an intention to, to begin and end your days, your moments, your anything in a state of gratitude and being for your body in its current state. When you can offer love and appreciation to your body in its current state, not the dream of where you want it to be, but where it is right now, you are signaling safety and trust to your body. That's going to show up in your hormones, in your regulation, in everything. Creating a space of safety is going to give you more access to get to where you want to be even faster. I think that that those beautiful words of wisdom can, again, be applied to this entire conversation, this entire section two of this workbook of reconnecting with our physical self. Before we can feel fully grateful or embody that feeling, we might have to practice it. Before we can shift or change the way things are to feel differently, it's building that foundational awareness of exactly what it is, how it is that we are right now. And on that note, sending love to all of you who continue to tune into all of these episodes and acknowledgement and acceptance and love for exactly who it is that you are in this moment. You are a gift. Your body is a gift. And we are so appreciative of you continuing to have these conversations with us, to look at ourselves in this new, more conscious way. Because until we do that, we can't shift or change anything around us, anything within us, anything in our relationships, anything in the world around us. And in my opinion, this is truly where life-changing practices begin in these small moments. So hoping that those of you who have been following along to these workbook episodes have been finding them valuable, whether or not you have the physical workbook itself in hand. Um, we are going to continue these to throughout the remainder of the workbook. So you don't have to go ahead and purchase it. You can just stay tuned in and a part of these conversations to begin to integrate some of these tools to continue your journey in meeting who it is that you truly are. And as always, looking forward to continuing this conversation with you on next episode.